You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to a new, slightly belated edition of Attaboy Clarence. My apologies for the slight break. I have a very special guest coming onto the show and I was going to wait until his appearance so that I could include him on this episode, but I think I'll hold him over for next time. On with the show. What do I have for you this time? Well, seeing as how Alfred Hitchcock is once again the focus over on the secret history of Hollywood, I thought I'd present a couple of movies that weren't directed by the master of suspense, but which certainly bear the fingerprints of Hitchcock. And both of them, coincidentally, were recommended to me at separate times by movie aficionado Mr. Robert Stroud. So if you're listening, Robert, you'll already be in the know as to what's ahead on this show. The drums of war roll on. Here at home, they have a meaning too. Have they? In what way? She's a good actress, isn't she? Here at home, in seven Canadian cities and the districts around them, an emergency has been declared. Please say it's a dance emergency. A housing emergency. Ugh, that's a depressing emergency. Oh, that's right. I read it in the paper, but I'm afraid I'm still not very clear about it. What were the cities again? To help those who must live there, these districts have been declared emergency shelter areas. Victoria, Vancouver, New Westminster, Hamilton, Toronto, Ottawa, and Hull. Oh, my goodness me. Could you please say Ottawa again? Ottawa. And once more, please. Ottawa. That's what I thought. I mean, that's what I thought I was. Ottawa. You have to learn the Ottawa song. And here it is. Ottawa. 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 And do you know what else is nice? A new edition of The Dark Pages. That's what's nice. This time, Karen and the team don't just stick to the Golden Age. They also throw a light on the neo-noirs of the 2010s. They take a special look at Night of the Hunter, and they celebrate 70 years of the Blue Gardenia, as well as much, much more. Get your copy now by going to www.allthatnoir.com. That's your all-new edition of The Dark Pages. Out now. And exciting times ahead because Karen herself is coming onto the show very soon, so lots more classic noir heading your way right here. Let's fly on over now, though, for another guessing game. A famous Hollywood star is in the hot seat. Can you guess his identity? I'll give you a clue. This actor was the star of one Alfred Hitchcock movie during his career. Just one. Prick up your ears. Sharpen your wits and see if you can tell who the hell is that Hollywood legend. All right, panel, as you know, in the case of our mystery challenger, different form of questioning, one question at a time, in turn, moving clockwise, and we'll begin it with um, Dorothy Kilgallen. 
Uh, are you a performer in any... Yeah. The... What? <laughs> yeah. Oh, Mr. Right. Surf, did I bump into you at lunch the other day? Nope. <laughs> That's one dollar night ago, Miss Francis. And the way he sounds, he would have knocked you over anyway. So. <laughs> Lucky thing. Uh, are you a performer in the picture world? Yeah. Mr. Young, are you larger than a breadbasket? <laughs> Substantially. Uh, you're primarily a motion picture star. <coughs> or actor. No. No, I would say that we'll give a no, two down and eight to go, but that could be yes and no, depending actually on where the subjective interest of the decision was lying. Miss Kilgallen? Please, John, some of us aren't feeling well. <laughs> um, is the area of interest possibly sometimes in supper clubs or recording studios? No. Three down and seven to go, Mr. Sir. <coughs> Are you at present playing in some show in the Broadway area? Yeah. Miss Francis. Is it a straight play rather than a musical? Yeah. Mr. Young. Oh, it's a straight play. Oh, um, did, uh, is it about... Go ahead, Gary. Is it about politics? No! Four down and six to go, Miss Kilgallen. That rules out almost everything. Uh, were you born somewhere other than the United States? No! Five down and five to go, Mr. Surf. Has the play opened since October 1st? Yes! Miss Francis. Are you... <laughs> Are you in a play that has to do with the theater, in a way? And are you... <laughs> I haven't even finished. Are you one of the most ingratiating, charming actors oh, in the theater? <laughs> Are you... And we'll break away there. Do you have a clue? Tough one. But you might spot a star beneath the voice there. He starred for Alfred Hitchcock once in a somewhat grittier movie that Hitchcock was known for. And that's all the help I'll give you. Fear not. If you're stuck, I'll be revealing the winner later in the show. On to some movies then. Two films with a decidedly Hitchcock flavor to them. First up, 1956's 23 Paces to Baker Street, directed by Henry Hathaway and starring Van Johnson, Cecil Parker, and Hitchcock's very own Vera Miles, Miss Lila Crane herself. I recently popped this movie into the classic movie library over on Patreon at patreon.com slash attaboysecret, of course, and I've had several messages from folks to say that they were very taken with this definitely underseen and underappreciated little gem of a thriller with a very fine heritage behind it. Not only is it directed with style by Henry Hathaway, it's also based on a story by Philip MacDonald, the man who wrote The Body Snatcher with Val Luton and Circle of Danger, directed by Jacques Tourneur. So many other fantastic stories, such as The List of Adrian Messenger, The Lost Patrol, Nightmare. Anyway, here's a clip. Well, I don't see why you insist on acting this way. Jean, we've been all over this a dozen times. When the thing is finished, I like to forget about it. Let's talk about something else, shall we? You like the apartment? It's lovely. Come and look at this beautiful view. Houses of Parliament over there. There's Big Ben watching over us. They're doing some work on them, as you can see. And Charing Cross Station. Over there we have Waterloo Bridge and St. Paul's Cathedral. 
We even have some prehistoric ruins that date right back to 1941. Don't be so bitter, Phil. It doesn't help you. Bitter? Me? I'm a successful playwright who's just had a hit. A big hit. What have I got to be bitter about? I'm all right as long as people leave me alone. I wish people would leave things where they're supposed to be. Van Johnson plays Philip Hannon, a blind playwright living in London who one night, while in his local pub, overhears some kind of plot being discussed by two anonymous individuals. I don't want anything to do with it, Mr. Evans. I don't like the sound of it. You like the money, all right. A little bit more than this last job. Much more. But how do I know what you're going to do with it? You don't have to worry about that. You just do what I tell you. You take the money and forget it. dirty somehow when people are trusting you. Would you like me to say a little fire? You promised me when, when I went to Georgia. That was last week. Yeah, this is much bigger. Come on, Sarah. Well, he arrived in the tent. You let out of me and take it over. And we take it off your hands and give you your money. Could be simpler than that. But you don't understand. I might get to like you. Yeah, have time for that. Convinced that somewhere in the city something bad is about to go down, Philip teams up with his former sweetheart Jean, played by Vera Miles, and his faithful but exhausted manservant Bob, played by Cecil Parker, to try to track down the supposed wrongdoers using the scant information he got from the overheard conversation. After following the clues, it turns out that Philip might just be right about what he heard. But what will happen when the bad guys realize that someone is on their trail? And even more terrifying to consider, what will they do when they find out that their pursuer is blind? I figured out like this. This woman has something to do with children, probably a nursemaid. That's why she had to get back, because somebody else is going out, so that there'd be somebody there with the kids. Mm-hmm. Go on. She's employed by this lordship and ladyship. And this Mr. Evans she's talking to is trying to force her to do something wrong. Whatever it is, she doesn't want to do it. But she's afraid of Evans. Scared to death of him. Really impressive thriller and came smack bang in the mid-50s when Hitchcock himself was overmaking films like Dialogue for Murder and Rear Window and The Man Who Knew Too Much. These very high-concept thrillers that he was essentially pioneering. If you've listened to my series on Hitchcock's life, you'll know that he was around this time trying to make a film called No Bail for the Judge, which would have starred Audrey Hepburn as a barrister who's helped by a thief, played by Lawrence Harvey, to clear her father, a judge played by John Williams, when he suspected of killing a girl. It wasn't made because Audrey Hepburn fell pregnant. Hitchcock also wanted to make a movie called The Blind Man, which would have starred James Stewart and told the tale of a blind pianist who's able to see when he's given the eyes of a dead man. The thing is, he soon comes to realize that at times he can see the image of a man killing him and he realizes that the eyes belong to someone who was murdered, and that the murderer's image is imprinted upon his retinas. These sorts of high-concept thrillers were all the rage at the time, and you can definitely see the appeal in films like 23 Paces to Baker Street. And if you didn't know Henry Hathaway had directed the film, you'd swear it was Hitchcock at the helm. 
The whole concept of overhearing a plot but not being able to see who's talking is wonderful. Philip has to use his other senses to try and get a picture of who was talking and all the action has to be undertaken by proxy. Vera Miles is superb as Philip's former sweetheart who wants him back more than anything but has to earn his heart all over again as he's so embittered by his blindness. You can definitely see shades of Lisa Fremont in her character and you can definitely see a lot of Stella, Jimmy Stewart's nurse in Rear Window, in the character of Bob, played by Cecil Parker here, who is magnificent. Once the plot begins to unravel and the truth of what was being planned in the pub starts to shine through, the tension comes thick and fast. There's an amazing set piece in which Philip is led to an abandoned building by a would-be killer and an attempt is made on his life. There's also a knuckle-gnawing climax in Philip's apartment where the villain, who has constantly underestimated his pursuer throughout, is forced into darkness too. I won't spoil it for you, it's a twisty little fable with a great concept and some super ideas. It's like a cross between Rear Window and Wait Until Dark, and it's definitely worth checking out. That's 23 Paces to Baker Street from 1956. Next up, a very smouldering affair, and also from that mid-50s sweet spot where high-concept thrillers ruled the roost, this is another London-set thriller directed by Arthur Rubin for Columbia and shot entirely in England. An absolutely fascinating, black-hearted, knotty, noir Ottawa. crime thriller starring Stuart Granger and Gene Simmons. This is... Footsteps in the Fog. I do like to see a widower grieving proper. It lends tone to a funeral. I thought he was going to fall in a dead faint. That would have been lovely. But he was as white as a corpse himself. Huh. Look at her ladyship. Quick as grazed lightning if it's for the master. Moaning around the kitchen till he wants something and then she opens like a bloody kangaroo. Look what you've done now, you clumsy. And the best china too. I'll see it's taken out of your wages. You'll get another cup and be quicker balanced. And you best be changing your ways, you little gutter snipe, if you want to keep your place here. Get along with that tray and hurry back if you know what's good for you. That is, if you can tear yourself away from the master. Granger plays Stephen Lowry, a wealthy widower whose wife recently died after a mysterious illness. Lowry's pretty young cockney maid, Lily, played by Jean Simmons, one day comes to his rooms to make an admission. Come in. Yes, sir. Oh, Lily, your mistress usually kept her jewels in this box. Do you know what's happened to them? Nothing, sir. She gave them to me. Gave them to you? Yes, sir, just before she died. You're lying. Do you think for a moment anyone would believe that? Well, they all believe she died of gastroenteritis, don't they, sir? One's as true as the other. I haven't the slightest idea what you're talking about. Oh, you will, sir, when I've explained it to you. You see... You may not have known it the other night, but I bought some fresh coal in for the fire, just as your poor wife was dying. And while the doctor was pulling the sheet over her face, I saw you quickly take the bottle of medicine and put it behind your back. Uh, and then you hid it in a place where you thought it might be safe. 
Lily blackmails her way to the position of housekeeper in Lowry's household in exchange for keeping his dark secret. It was Lowry himself who murdered his wife with poison. But Lily isn't satisfied with just this. She wants to be eventual mistress of the house and starts taking certain liberties, such as wearing the jewellery that belonged to Lowry's wife and even trying on the dead woman's dresses. You little fool. Don't you ever let me catch you wearing this or any other of her jewellery while someone's in this house. What do you suppose MacDonald thought seeing it on you and on my wife? And don't ever let me be humiliated by servants dragging their brawls into my drawing room. Oh, that won't happen again, sir. There won't be any servants. What do you mean? Oh, I'll be doing the cooking from now on. You don't need another woman in the house, not while I'm here, sir. It's obvious that Lily has designs far greater than simply remaining in service. But what will happen when she pushes Lowry a little bit too far? I've been thinking. You know, you're a very attractive young woman. With the right opportunity and the right environment, you might improve your situation considerably. How do you mean, sir? Well, say in a country like Canada or America. Now, in America, for instance, there's no barrier of class distinction. With money, a girl like you could be a lady. What's the use of being a lady in a place where it makes no difference, sir? Besides, why do you want to send me so far away? <laughs> it's, it's only for your own good. Besides, here in England, what chance do you get with everybody telling you to keep your place and know your place? But I do know my place, sir. It's with you. A place I'm never going to give up. Now, I would love, love, love to be able to talk a little bit more about what happens in this film. The synopsis I've provided only really takes you about 20 minutes into the movie. The utterly twisted delights that this film has on offer really do come thick and fast after that point. I have rarely been as hypnotized by a story as I was with this one, and it's due to not just the pitch-perfect performances at the film's heart, but also the plot, which weaves like a roller coaster and goes to some incredibly shocking places. Honestly, it's breathtaking at times. It's just one rug pull after another. It begins so formulaically. You're so sure of what's going to happen, but every single one of my ideas about how it would end were wrong. And I've never been more happy to be surprised. It's moody, it's mean-spirited, it delights in its villainy and its wickedness. It's very clever, gorgeous to look at, and one of those stellar examples of an underseen Hitchcockian gem that strays so far from the formula and is better for it. I remember feeling this way about 1949's Obsession, which if you remember is one of my all-time favorites. Footsteps in the Fog from 1955 is right up there. I urge you to check it out. And if you're a patron, then you can. Both 23 Paces to Baker Street and Footsteps in the Fog are available now in my classic movie library. Simply sign up at patreon.com slash attaboysecret or follow the link in the show notes of this episode. Sign up now and dive right in. Well, a real treat for you now. Something again Hitchcock related, but not Hitchcock himself. Favorite story was another great concept in radio. Stars and personalities of the day would pick their favorite story and a group of illustrious radio stars would bring it to life for them. 
The show was hosted by Ronald Coleman, and this particular offering stars William Conrad. Anyone who follows me on Patreon will know that I am all about William Conrad at the moment. He plays Marshal Matt Dillon on Gunsmoke, and he's just wonderful. Check this out, it's fantastic. An episode of Favourite Story, hosted by Ronald Coleman, starring William Conrad, and with a Hitchcock connection. See you afterwards. This is Ronald Coleman, inviting you to radio's most dramatic half-hour, Favourite Story. The man who picked this week's favourite story is someone you must have seen many times. He has the rather engaging habit of casting himself as a bit player in every motion picture he directs. So you've caught glimpses of him, that paunchy gentleman with the bright little eyes who appears on the screen for a few fleeting seconds. But you probably never guessed that he was one of our great motion picture directors. People here in Hollywood call him Hitch. He's the master of suspense thrillers... Mr. Alfred Hitchcock. We were chatting with him recently in the commissary at David O. Selznick's studios, and he suggested a favorite story for this series. One that's right in the Hitchcock tradition. Robert Louis Stevenson's hair-raising adventure of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. So, if your heart is strong and your schizophrenia well under control, prepare yourself for a treat in thrills, as William Conrad stars in both the title roles of Alfred Hitchcock's favorite story, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Absurd. Impossible. I've never heard such a ridiculous premise. If what you suggest is true, then I've wasted a lifetime in the study of law. I assure you, Utterson, it is not Gentlemen, true. gentlemen. I will illustrate my point. Very well, Dr. Jekyll. I beg your patience until I've finished. In an hour or so, Dr. Langan... Your head will rest on the whiteness of a linen pillow. Utterson, your eyes will be closed to the night outside and a curtain will be descended, cutting off your real self from your dreams. Now, behind that curtain, Dr. Langan, have you not entertained thoughts of such incredible evil that you shuddered to think of them by daylight? Utterson, your profession as lawyer brings you into constant touch with crime and wickedness. Yet, have you not committed the most revolting atrocities in the caverns of your sleeping brain? Can you deny, gentlemen, that you are, each of you, two separate personalities? One, respectable, admired, morally good. The other, bitter, hating, and hated. A creature intent on one purpose only, the pursuit of evil. And what would you say, doctor, if I told you that I was working on a process for separating man's waking self from his dreams? A chemical process whereby I can isolate the human character into its two component parts, good and evil. What would you say to that, huh? What would you say to that? That would be the point, Dr. Jekyll. The point? Scientific research. 
And the pleasure of proving to you two gentlemen that you don't know A from Z. Oh, well, drink up, Jekyll. I must be leaving soon. All right. A toast. Good. A toast to the three of us. Yes, to friendship. No, gentlemen. A toast to good and evil. That you, pull? Yes, sir. The chemist has brought your order. Good, good. Bring it in. Ah, uh, right here, pull. Uh, here, here we are, sir. Uh, uh, will that be all? Yes, yes. And remember, I don't want to be disturbed under any circumstances. I must be alone this entire evening. Yes, sir. Now we shall try it. June 22nd. Today I have procured the final ingredients necessary to complete my experiment, which should prove beyond a doubt that man possesses two separate and distinct natures, the good and the evil. My experience today will bear out my theory of dual personality, or destroy me. For in drinking my compound, I know full well that I risk death. The elements are compounded. The resulting ebullition is now complete. I shall continue to record this experiment in my journal as long as I am capable. Three swallows of this and I will know. These aren't my hands. This is not my face. This is not my voice. Here, driver, this is the place. I'm not coming in with you, Utterson. Somehow I... I can't escape the feeling that I'm... I'm not wanted in the home of Dr. Jekyll. You and Jekyll still quarreling? As a matter of fact, I haven't seen Jekyll since the night the three of us dined. That was more than three months ago. I've seen him. I tell you, Lanyon, he's changed. Do you think Jekyll might have come across something? <laughs> you doctors are all alike, Lanyon. Perhaps when you see Jekyll tonight, he may have an explanation for what he's been doing these past months. Perhaps. Well, uh, good night, Lanyon. I'll give your regards to Jekyll. Yes, do that. We may have our differences, but... Jekyll and I are still good friends. All right, driver. Oh, good evening, Poole. Mr. Utterson. Good evening, sir. Come in, come in. Is the doctor in? No, sir, he's not. He, he's been gone all evening. Was he expecting you? No, no, I just thought I'd drop by. When do you expect him in? Well, that's hard to say, sir. I don't know when to expect him anymore, if you'll pardon my saying so, sir. What do you mean, Poole? Well, sir, it's just since Mr. Hyde's been here. Hyde, eh? I've heard something about this Edward Hyde. What does he look like, Poole? Well, sir, I, I can't rightly say. You mean you haven't seen him, and yet he stays here? Oh, oh yes, sir. I've seen him all right. Uh, he doesn't stay here, though. He just comes and goes. It's just that he's... Difficult to describe. He's so... so... Evil, is that the word? 
Yes, Miss Dodderson, sir, that's it. Oh, it's not only his hideous face and his hairy hands, but there is something definitely evil about him. All evil. Now, I've heard several other people describe him in the same words. I should like to meet this Mr. Hyde. He was here tonight. Went out a little while ago. Dr. Jekyll has given him the freedom of the house and instructed us to obey him. He had dinner with Dr. Jekyll? Oh, dear no, sir. He never dines here. Indeed, we see very little of him on this side of the house. But he and Dr. Jekyll spend a great deal of time together in the laboratory. Well, I'll be going along, Poole. Tell Dr. Jekyll I call. Yes, sir. Good night, Mr. Utterson. Good night, Poole. Oh, I beg your pardon, my good man. Huh? Were you going into Dr. Jekyll's house? What of it? You're Mr. Hyde. That's my name. What do you want? Well, I'm an old friend of Dr. Jekyll's, uh, Mr. Utterson of Gaunt Street. You must have heard my name. No, never heard of you. How do you know me? By description. Whose description? We have common friends. Common friends? Who are they? Jekyll, for instance. You lie. Oh, come now, Mr. Hyde. What I... do you want? I'm Dr. Jekyll's attorney. Then tend to your legal work, Utterson. Get out of my way. Now, now see here, I... Out of my way, Utterson, before I club you. Understand? Club you. Gentlemen, it's good to have the three of us together again. Very good. Utterson, you should stop by more often. Well, I've been by several times lately, but you seem to be out a great deal. Mm, that's certainly true enough, Jekyll. I don't think I've seen you twice in the past three months. Oh, Dr. Lanyon, forgive me. I've been quite busy lately. I really haven't realized how much time my experiments are taking. And I assure you, I don't want my experiments to cost me two of my oldest and dearest friends. Well... The dinner was certainly delightful, Jacob, but I must be running along. You're not letting this briefcase of mine frighten you away, are you? Oh, when a lawyer brings his briefcase, we doctors haven't got a chance. <laughs> Sorry you're leaving so soon, Lanyon. It's been good talking with you again, even if we don't agree medically. Yes, for once we didn't argue. Well, good night, gentlemen. And drop by again, Lanyon. You might find some of my latest experiments most interesting. Well, my heart may be a little too weak for them, eh, Jacob? Good night. I've been wanting to speak to you, Jekyll, about this will of yours. You know I don't approve. Yes, certainly, I know that. You've told me so. I'd like to go over several of the clauses with you. All right, if it'll make you happier. Well, no, no, this one, for example. In the event of the decease of Henry Jekyll, all possessions are to pass into the hands of his friend and benefactor, Edward Hyde. In the event of his disappearance or unexplained absence for any period exceeding three calendar months... The said Edward Hyde shall receive all possessions of Henry Jekyll without burden or obligation. A man is free to make what will he wishes. I've been learning something about your friend, Mr. Hyde. As your lawyer, I must tell you what I've heard is abominable. You do not understand my position. It's a very strange one. A very strange one. It is one of those affairs that cannot be mended by talking. Jekyll, you know me. I'm a man to be trusted. An old friend. Make a clean breast of this in confidence, and I'm certain I can get you out of it. If this fellow Hyde is trying to blackmail you... My or... good Utterson, this is all very kind of you, but it isn't so bad as you make it. The moment I choose, I can be rid of Mr. Hyde. And I give you my word on that. The moment I choose, Mr. Hyde can be out of my life forever. But thank you for your concern. Very well, Jekyll. 
I've no doubt you're perfectly right. Don't worry, friend. I shall always be able to take care of Edward Hyde. Will that be all, Dr. Jekyll? Oh, yes, Poole, that will be all. I'm going to step over to my laboratory before retiring. You needn't wait up for me. Very good, sir. October 3rd. My experiments are now conclusive. I have succeeded in completely segregating the human soul into its two major components. Good and evil. And I have been able to separate and rejoin at will by the simple expedient of drinking my formula. As Edward Hyde, I am alive and real, yet I do not even exist. As Edward Hyde, my face is different, thick, dusky, and the teeth protrude in the simian fashion. The exact opposite of Henry Jekyll's fairly formed face. The hands of Edward Hyde are lean, corded, knuckly, with a swarthy growth of hair, while those of Jekyll are large, white, smooth. In summing up the differences between the two men, I would... No. No, I'm Jekyll. I drank nothing. No. No, no. I'm giggle. 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 I drank nothing. I drank nothing. My experiment. It's out of control. We're ready with Act Two of Alfred Hitchcock's favorite story, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyatt. The doctor's infamous experiment with split personalities has burst out of his control. Every moment he stands at the mercy of his other self, Edward Hyde. And it is Edward Hyde that we meet now on a wet London street not long before midnight. Uh, what were you going? Oh, I beg your pardon, sir. I... I'm afraid my eyesight isn't as good as it could be. No, no, it isn't as good as it could be. Not one part of what it could be. Well, now, look here. I, I, I'm dreadfully sorry I bumped into you, but there, there's certainly been no harm done. Uh, that's the trouble with you old fossils. An apology settles everything. Well, it doesn't with me, sir. Look here. Put down that cane. I'll teach you what happens when anybody gets in the way of it. Well, I... Put down your cane. I'll put down my cane. I'll put oh. it down on you, my very good sir. Oh. My very good... Yes, sir. I worked first for them as a crew. I was sitting at my window looking down at the street. I like to do that of an evening. Well, sir, I noticed the damn step out of his carriage and start across this way. And then this other gentleman, evil-looking he was, is hurrying down the way, and he and the dampers collide. The damper stops his hat and apologizes, like the perfect gentleman he was. But this other gentleman will have none of it, mind you. He raises his stick and he beats the dampers. Beats him to death, he does. It was horrible, horrible. Did you get a good look at this madman? 
Would you know him if you saw him again? Know him? I'd know him anywhere. It was that awful Mr. Ride everyone's been talking about. That's who it was. Mr. Ride. What is it, Pooh? Mr. Utterson is waiting to see you, Dr. Jekyll. Uh, tell him I'm not in. I don't feel... I'm sorry, sir. I've already told him you were here. He seemed most anxious to see you. Very well, show him in. Yes, sir. Dr. Jekyll will see you now. Hello, Jekyll. Sorry to rush in on you like this. I've just come from the coroner's office. They called me to identify the body of Sir Danvers. Of course you've heard. Yes. Yes, I've heard about it. It was a terrible thing, Chico. Terrible thing. But then you don't fully understand what I mean. What do you mean? There was a witness. Witness? Sir Danvers' maid. She saw it all. She identified the murderer as your friend, Edward Hyde. Hyde? Yes. That's why I've come to see you. The will you made out in Edward Hyde's favor must be revoked immediately. You've got to break all relations with Mr. Hyde. If not, I'm afraid you'll be deeply involved in this crime. They'll never find Hyde, Utterson. I'm afraid you're mistaken there, my friend. They will find him. And when they do, the gallows itself will be too good for him. He's a madman. I saw Hyde last night. He told me he was leaving London. I don't believe I'll be involved in this, Utterson. Perhaps not. However, at the coroner's office, I picked this up. It's the stick with which Carew was beaten to death. Mine? Yes, Chico. Your cane. I gave it to you a long time ago. I recognize the head on See it. See here, Utterson. If you're deliberately trying to involve me in this thing, you're quite off the track. What Hyde does is his business. Perhaps the police will make it your business. That's enough, Utterson. I assure you, Mr. Hyde will never be heard from again. I'm Dr. Langdon. Uh, you're from Dr. Jekyll, I presume? Yes, yes, I'm from Dr. Jekyll. You got his letter, didn't you? I received his letter. Although I must confess parts of it were uh, a little vague. You did what Jekyll asked. Of course. Uh, come inside, man. Where are the chemicals? You've got them. Come, sir, I shall show you. Um, you forget I've not made your acquaintance. You're uh... a friend of Dr. Jekyll's, a friend. Now the chemicals, please. Uh... Sir, compose yourself. These are Jekyll's chemicals. Never mind that. Have you a graduated glass? My instructions were to have these delivered to Jekyll. I don't see what liberty you have to use them. Ah, you're quite inquisitive, Lanyon. Quite inquisitive. Give me the glass. I really don't see... Then you... you shall soon see. Very soon. You shall see everything. Curiosity is a costly thing, Lanyon. You shall find out just how costly. What are you doing, man? You don't intend to drink that. You're mad. A toast, Doctor. A toast to Edward Hyde. Hyde? You're Edward Hyde. And now... What happens now is under the seal of our profession. Our profession? Lanyon, you who denied the virtue of transcendental medicine, watch. What? What happened to you? You have derided your superiors, Lanyon. Look, look. My Lord, man, what's happening to you? You're not hiding. 
Well, Dr. Langan. Yes. Impossible. Uh, Lanyon. Lanyon. Glad you've arrived, Mr. Utterson. I've been waiting for hours. Cool, what is it, man? Oh. What brings you to my home? Is the doctor ill? Mr. Utterson, something is wrong. Ever since Dr. Lanyon died last week, I... Now, now take oh. your time and tell me what you want. Uh, you know the doctor's way, sir, and how he shuts himself up. Well, he's shut up in the laboratory, and... Well, sir, I'm afraid I haven't seen him since Dr. Lanyon's funeral. What do you mean, fool? What? What is it you're afraid of? I've been afraid ever since... Since the night I last saw him. Last saw him? Yes, sir. I was coming from the garden on my way to the laboratory with some food. Dr. Jekyll has made me leave all his meals by the laboratory door. I noticed Dr. Jekyll at the far end of the room. When he saw me, he ran. But I caught a glimpse of him. He was wearing a mask. A mask? That's incredible. Why? I don't know, Mr. Utterson. He refuses to see anyone. He won't come out. Worst of all, I... Go on. I hear footsteps behind the door. They aren't Dr. Jekyll's footsteps. And when he calls to me, it isn't Dr. Jekyll's voice. Did you recognize that voice? Well, yes, sir. I think it sounds like the voice of Mr. Hyde. Are you sure of this, Pooh? Yes, sir. But there's one more thing. Yes? He's been sending me out almost every day for chemicals... He writes them on a sheet of paper and passes it under the door. I've been to every wholesale chemist in London. Every time I return with them, he says they aren't the right ones, and I have to search some more. I've never brought back the kind he wants, because he yells at me each day to bring more from another chemist. Have you got any of those notes? Yes, sir. Right here. Hmm. Dr. Jekyll's writing all right, unquestionably. Yes, sir. I thought so, too. Tell me more about the night you saw Jekyll with the mask. How did he look? Not like himself, sir. He seemed smaller, hunched over. His face was dark, hairy-looking. But then I only had a quick glance. Perhaps Lanyon wasn't mad when he died at that. What was that, sir? Uh, never mind, Poole. Come. We are going to Dr. Jekyll's laboratory. <laughs> January 15th. I have lost control completely now. Even double potions have no effect. I dare not leave the laboratory for fear I will suddenly become Edward Hyde. If I'm caught again outside my laboratory as Hyde, I shall surely be killed. It is only a matter of time before I become Hyde again and remain as Hyde. I have had London ransacked for my original chemicals only to find they aren't the same. I am now convinced that my first supply was impure and that it was that unknown impurity which made the formula act. I shall never know the true formula. This will be my last entry for my experiment must be concluded as a failure. There remains but one way in which I can control Hyde. I have no alternative. The change occurs almost without event now. I'm Jekyll one instant. I, the next. 
I'm... This is the last time Henry Chico can think his own thoughts or see his own face. As I lay down this pen and end my medical journal, I bring the life... The life of Henry Chico to an end. Henry Chico is gone. I'm wrong, Poole. Perhaps Dr. Jekyll didn't kill himself. Perhaps he was murdered by Edward Hyde. And that was Alfred Hitchcock's favorite story... Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, starring William Conrad and hosted by the always impeccable Ronald Coleman. Fabulous. Just time now to see who that Hollywood legend was. Are you one of the most ingratiating, charming actors in the theater? (laughs) Are you Henry Fonda? Yes. It was Henry Fonda the star of Hitchcock's The Wrong Man from 1956, also starring Vera Miles. It's all connecting like crazy today. Did you guess it was Mr. Fonda? If you did, a big pat on the back. If you didn't, then don't worry. Another chance will be heading your way soon. Remember, if you'd like more of these shows, there are hundreds now available at patreon.com slash attaboysecret. Along with all of the Secret History of Hollywood episodes, Memoirs in Minutes, my bite-sized bio series, Blueprints, which is a small version of the Secret History of Hollywood, a weekly film club night so that you can come along and watch films with me and the gang, also now a weekendly music outing, the 7th Heaven Radio Hour, a golden hour or so of the most glorious music hosted by me. All of it is now available at patreon.com slash attaboysecret. Sign up there or follow the link in the show notes of this episode or download the Patreon app and search for me there. Very simple. That is all from me for this edition. See you again next time. Until then, take splendid care of yourselves and those you love. And bye for now. Ottawa. If you'd like to support this show, you can do so by going to www 
attaboyclarence.com and clicking on the Patreon banner. Pledges start from as little as $1 a month, and in return you'll receive exclusive emails, bonus episodes, previews, and ebooks. And every dollar pledged goes towards making these shows better and more frequent. Go to www.attaboyclarence.com or click the link in the show notes now to become a patron. Thank you. Welcome to the future in this year's wildest super fun show for adults. Hey gang, it's Josh Olson. And Joe Dante. And we want to tell you about our podcast. It's about movies. Josh, there are a thousand podcasts about movies. Sure, but ours is different, Joe. That's true, actually. Our guests are writers, directors, musicians, comedians, actors. Hell, we even have other podcasters on. We play no favorites, and they don't talk so much about their own work but about the movies that have influenced them and made them who they are. We call it the movies that made me. We've talked with people like Guillermo del Toro, Little Stevie Van Zandt, Martin Short, Ethan Hawke, William Freakin, Barbara Crampton, Jonathan Ross, Dennis Lehane, Mark Duplass, Adam McKay, Lorraine Newman, Jason Reitman, Alison Anders, Elijah Wood, Stephen Canals, Eli Roth, Joe Bob Briggs, Roger Corman, Bobcat Goldthwait, Leon Douglas, Dana Gould, Martin Campbell, Shane Black, Albert Hughes, Emily Deschanel, Joe Biafra, Larry Fessenden, Nicole Hawson, Shaka King, Lee Daniels, Roslyn Chow, Clancy Brown, Harvey Smith, Ike Arnold, Steve Arquette, Thomas Mildred, and Uwe Boll. It may not be highbrow, but it's lots of fun. Subscribe for free on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. In color to thrill you as never before, 